Well, good morning, Red Hills Church. How are you doing this morning? Oh, you can do a little better than that. Come on. How are you doing this morning? So good to see you, to be with you. I see some new faces. Uh, my name's Aaron Hansen. I'm the lead pastor. I've been gone for three months. Uh, some of you don't even know me, but uh, uh, it's so good to be back. In fact, I want to remind you uh, that uh, the mission of our church is this. It's to inspire people to know Jesus. And we're a church, I've been waiting three months to say this, where it's okay to not be, and you can come as you are, and my hope and my prayer is that you're changed by the grace of Jesus Christ. I want to talk about grace for a moment before I, I jump in. Grace in Scripture historically means two different things. And the first one is this, that it means uh, that, that you receive uh, God's unmerited favor in your life. Meaning this, that there is no merit that you could do. There is no work that you could do. You cannot be good enough to receive God's grace. You receive God's grace purely because he wants to give you a good gift. Somebody say amen. That's a good thing, right? Because a lot of us grow up in religious contexts where we feel like we need to earn the grace of God and be good in order to get his grace, but it's the opposite with the gospel. We have his grace and therefore we become a follower of Jesus. But grace also means this. It also means that it is the empowering presence of God in our life to, uh, to, to cause us to live like Jesus Lived. And grace is something not only we receive from God, but grace is something that we receive from one another as well, right? We, we, we receive from the people around us. And in the last three months, or actually the last several years, I've received grace from a lot of people. And so before I jump in, I, want, I just want to just, just say, first of all, I've received grace from our church family. And I am deeply grateful for the grace that I've received and everyone watching online for as I've ran into you in, in, uh, throughout Newburgh. I've been gone most of the summer. Uh, but there's been so much grace and so much support. And I'm just thankful for that. I'm thankful that we're, we're a church that loves Jesus, that loves their leaders, and I, and I feel that as a pastor. And so uh, thank you. Thank you for continuing to give and to serve uh, our church. You know, one of the hardest things as a pastor when they leave for an extended time is what's going to happen when you get back. And, uh, and so I, I'm just so thankful for all of you. I also want to just tell you the grace that I've received from our church staff. We have a world-class staff at our church. You believe that? Uh, they are amazing men and women of God. And uh, uh, and we couldn't do, what, I couldn't do what I uh, do without them. And, and specifically, let me just point out uh, Andy McMillan, Pastor Andy, uh, to, to be able to leave the church in his hands for three months. Um, I, I did, he had to debrief me throughout uh, the sabbatical about something that happened. But, and I noticed his hair had kind of grown out. And I noticed on the side, I said, you've got more gray than you had when I left. Uh, and so I almost got you like some just for men. Uh, but that's only three months, man. Like eight years, uh, you, you lose more than the color of your hair. All right. So uh, just stay in your position for as long as you can. Um, but, uh, but leaving the church in his hands to guide and direct uh, has has just made me feel uh, confident and secure. Uh, and then the last one is our church council, men and women of God who make up, who, who come from, from the church, who uh, are not just uh, overseers of the financial 
uh, picture of our church, but also uh, very much uh, a support to me and confidence to me that I can process with. And we have several council members here. We have Casey uh, in the back, and I see you, and Tabitha. You've got your new baby. A lot of COVID babies that, uh, I don't know, you probably don't like that word COVID baby. I wouldn't like that word. I won't ever say that again. Pandemic <laughs> surprises. Uh, John Grover uh, and uh, Polly is here and Ken is here. Uh, and uh, just so thankful for your support of me as a pastor, as a leader, is, is just meant so much. And, uh, and so thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I couldn't have done what I've, I've done. And, uh, and I, I tell other pastors and leaders what I've done. And, uh, and, and they're just surprised by the, the grace and generosity. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. I, I want to jump in today to, to the, a new series we're doing for a couple weeks called Confessions of a Pastor. How many saw the promo video for this? All right, uh, let me just clear the air real quick. I didn't kill anybody, all right? Uh, I, I didn't steal any money, uh, and I, I didn't do anything that would cause to, me to get fired from my job, all right? What, what, I, what I wanna talk to you about today and next week is some things that God has taught me in this last season, actually leading into sabbatical, but sabbatical, has really allowed me to see a greater picture of what God wants for, for my life and, and to draw close to him. Uh, and, uh, and so it, it's just been an incredible process. And, I, and so I'm going to process that with you. And, and I've got to be honest, I'm a little apprehensive about sharing what God has learned or what God has taught me, what I've learned from him. Because how many of you have ever shared something deeply personal about your life with other people? You, you feel as you expose yourself, like, what are people going to think? think about me and what are they going to say about me and so I'm a little apprehensive but I've decided that uh, that I'm going to do it regardless because uh, this is just who I am and so I want to talk about uh, five confessions today and these are all about me and I hope by God's grace that 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 maybe some of you are going through some of these same things uh, and so today's going to be very personal uh, and, and next week I'm going to talk about a restorative process that God led me through that isn't just for me I believe it's for everyone here and I uh, I think we can all just learn and grow from that. And so uh, five confessions. Uh, and, and let me just say this. On sabbatical, I, I feel that there was a tremendous amount of pressure in returning for your first sermon back. And, and I, I'm not the only one. Four out of five of my friends who are senior pastors took breaks this summer. Uh, and they all kind of felt the same thing. And, and, and uh, uh, my first week on sabbatical, I went to this private resort in Wyoming to hear from the Lord. And I took one of my closest friends with me. Some of you might remember him. He used to be the worship pastor here, Blake. He went with me. And he asked me, like, on day one that, you know, I was supposed to not think about ministry. He goes, Aaron, what do you think your vision is going to be when you get back to church? I looked at him and I said, Blake, I can't think about the vision. Because if I think about the vision, then I'm not going to allow God to work in my life. I'm just going to be working on, uh, on the church and more, more, more work. And, uh, and I'm not going to be able to allow God to work in my life. And and I know there's sort of this pressure that, you know, the pastor needs to go up the mountain and meet with God and come down with the Ten Commandments. And uh, I want to let you know that didn't happen. Uh, I don't have a new vision because we have a vision that's been established 2,000 years ago to reach people for Jesus Christ. And so I don't have a new vision, uh, but I do have some things that I've, I've learned. 
And so l let me, before I jump in, let me just, I know I keep saying that, let me just say one more thing about a sabbatical. Some of you are new to that idea of sabbatical. Some of you know about it. There are two kinds of sabbaticals. There's an academic sabbatical, which is what a lot of people thought that I took. And an academic sabbatical is all about the product. It's about taking a break so you can work on a book, so that you can study, so that you can research. Uh, uh, pastors take it, uh, uh, professors take it, professionals take it. Uh, and it is about an extended time away so that you can produce something later. It's about the product. A pastoral sabbatical or personal sabbatical is all about the person. And, 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 I, and I knew this. I had to lay down the vision and the product so God could work on the person. I told Blake, I said, Blake, I don't know what the vision is gonna be, but I know if I get God's vision for my life, then whatever happens is gonna be good because my responsibility is to hear from the Lord for me. Are you with me, church? And so that's how I approached uh, this. By the way, I think you can approach many things in your life like that. Uh, for, for instance, marriage. A lot of, a lot of times people say, I, I want to work on my marriage. What they really mean is I want my spouse to change. <laughs> uh, how many of you have ever been able to change your spouse? All right, young people, unmarried people, just look around. There's no hands, all right? <laughs> what do you do if you have a marriage problem? The first person to work on is you. And so many people don't want to do that. They come to me and say, my marriage is broken. Like, I need to fix my marriage. I need to fix my career. I said, well, you need to grow in this area. No, 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 my wife needs to grow. And it just doesn't work. And so you start with what God wants for your life. So I want to start here. I want to start with a verse that uh, really guided my life on sabbatical. And uh, it's uh, a passage in the uh, book of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or your handout, you can turn to the book of Matthew uh, chapter 11. Uh, we're going to be there in, in a moment. And, and I got this verse from my spiritual director. And a spiritual director is like a, a mix between a counselor and a pastor. And they're there to point you to Jesus. And before I was to go into sabbatical, uh, he, I was describing what I wanted. And he says, Aaron, it sounds like you need in your life, uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, and he, he began to read it to me, and uh, it's a verse that we all know very well, but, uh, but I want to read it for you today, uh, and, and, uh, and then I'm going to read a, a couple different uh, versions of it, and Matthew chapter 11, 28 says this, it says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I, I want to tell you, the last couple years, three, maybe three or four years, uh, walking with Jesus and leading the church, the burden didn't feel light. It felt heavy and the yoke felt difficult. And anytime you're following Jesus, if the yoke isn't easy and the burden isn't light, something is wrong. Because Jesus said, hey, my yoke, right, my, my, my mantle of authority over your life is to be easy, it's to be refreshing, not to cause a, a weight upon your shoulders. And so I felt like in my life the yoke was hard and the burden was heavy. But I want to read out of the message translation, the same verse that Eugene Peterson penned these words, because this, uh, there's a line in here that means so much to me. He says this, are you tired? 
Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and live lightly. And what Dave said to me is, Aaron, I think what you're describing is that you want to recover your life. I said, that's exactly it. I feel like so much of who I am and what I do have been so enmeshed together that I can't differentiate the two. And I needed to get away to recover my life, to be with Jesus and Jesus alone, and to hear from him and to be with him. And the interesting thing, I kept telling my friends this, I, that, that, that I was empty, but the things that typically filled me weren't filling me like they had in the past. And so I, I, I want to start here. Here's a, five confessions of your pastor. The first one is this, is that I went into a season thinking I needed rest, and what I discovered that I really needed was recovery. Uh, I thought I was just going in a season needing rest, but what I needed was recovery. And I want to describe the difference between the two for you. R rest is this. Rest is taking a break to reflect and recharge reflect on the work that you did and recharge for the work that you're going to do. It's, it's rest. Uh, and, and athletes know the value of rest, all right? Any athletes in the room, any George Fox students, your athletes, you, you know this, that, that the more competitive you become and the harder the work you work, the more you need to rest your body, your muscles, and even your mind mentally. And, and, and there's a formula to it is, is this, is that your, your input, which is your rest, should be equal or greater than your output, which is your work. And so even athletes at the highest level in professional sports and the Olympic sports, they know the value of rest. They know that if they push their bodies harder, they need an equal or greater amount of time for rest. Now recovery is this. Recovery is extended rest and maybe even rehabilitation because you didn't follow the formula. And when you don't rest, you actually get injuries to your body. Uh, let, me, let me just say it this way, that, that, that if you don't rest, there are diminishing returns in your life. If you do resistance training on your body and, and you lift things and you, you run and you wanna, you wanna grow your strength and grow your muscles, do you know that your muscles do not grow when you're working out? You know that, right? You actually do the opposite. You put stress and trauma on your muscles. You create micro tears in the fibers and tissues of you. You actually break your muscles down. Your muscles do not grow when you lift, when you run. They grow when you rest. And your body adapts to the stimuli that you put on it, the work and stress and trauma that you put on it. And there's something that I discovered in leadership, that there is leadership trauma with a T, not drama. There is drama, but there's trauma. Whether you lead anything, whether you're a parent and you lead your family, you lead your kids, whether you're a teacher and you lead your classroom, whether you're a manager and you lead a team of people, you lead a Bible study, you lead an organization, that there is stress that comes with leadership. Pain is the language in life of 
leadership. And with proper rest, it makes you stronger emotionally, mentally, and I think even physically and spiritually. Sam Chan wrote a book called Leadership Pain, and he says this, that the level that you go in leadership in your life is directly related to the level of pain that you can experience, your pain threshold, your emotional and leadership pain threshold. And so many people cap out at a certain level because they're only uh, able to take a certain amount of pain, that pain is the language of leadership. And in order to grow from the pain that you experience, you've got to rest. You got to rest. And, And what I did for the last 18 years of my life is when I experienced leadership trauma, I didn't rest. I did what I thought was expected. I worked harder. I tried harder. I stayed up later. I tried to write better messages. I tried to make more phone calls. I did the opposite of what I believe scripture teaches us, and that's to rest. And so I went to a season thinking I needed rest and discovered I, I actually, there was a lot more pain and wounds in my life than I imagined. And I needed recovery, which leads me to the second confession, is that I am addicted to something. Hear a pin drop. I'm addicted to productivity and results. I'm addicted to the thrill of winning, achieving, of competing, of of uh, of being successful or trying to be successful. My light bulb came on uh, a little later in life than most people. I, I was a late bloomer mentally. <laughs> it was probably in my mid twenties. In, in high school. I was average at just about everything. At least I felt average, right? I, I, uh, I was average academically. I know a lot of you George Fox students, you were like valedictorian, salutatorian, 3.8, 3.9. I wasn't like that, all right? I, I was average. I was average in sports. I was, I was average in music. I played guitar, I played saxophone. I was just average. I was always second chair in saxophone. I could never get first chair. Musicians, you know what I'm talking about. I was just average. I didn't have drive. I didn't push myself to achieve or succeed in life. I just kind of went through life. The highlight of my high school, uh, uh, my, my high school days, my senior year, I got the lead role in a musical. All right, I know some of you are like, oh, you, you were in a musical. Yes, I, I had to learn to tap dance on stage and sing. All right, by the way, I, had a, I was in a 2A school in Illinois, so I didn't, there wasn't much competition. And my wife was in the audience in, in high school. She was a sophomore. I was a senior. I'm convinced she fell in love with me because of my tap dancing skills. <laughs> she says otherwise. She, she debates that with me, but I think that was the first day she fell in love with me. That was the highlight of, of my, 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 my high school career. And, and so I felt average at a lot of things. Until the age of 24, I got hired at a church in Gresham, Eastill Church, and it was one of the fastest growing, largest churches in the Pacific Northwest. And, uh, and I started in ministry, and I saw success almost immediately. I got to be a pastor with my best friend who I went to college with, and uh, immediately I began to see success. And I was recognized that for that success. My pastor, Ted Roberts, brought me up on stage uh, on a Wednesday. Wednesday night, and it was my ordination service as a pastor, and he brought me in front of people, and he said, Aaron has the fastest growing ministry in our church, and our church was 5,000 people at the time, and I tell you what, that was like giving a dog begging strips for doing a trick. I thought, oh, that felt really good. How do I get more of that? 
Well, you get more of that by doing what? By working harder. By putting your nose to the grindstone and doing more and achieving more and succeeding more. That was my drug. That was it. I want whatever that was because that made me feel really, really good. And I spent 18 years of professional, vocational career ministry pushing forward towards success with very few breaks. I worked on vacation. You can ask my wife. I, in Sun River, we always stay in this house and there's an office. And I would say, honey, I need to go work on my sermon. I would leave my wife and my family to ride bikes while I went in the office to work on my sermon because I thought that's what was required of me during that time. It's a serious dysfunction. The problem is it's rewarded. That's the problem. It's rewarded. And so I think the beginning of this new season of COVID where everything is different actually led me to begin to, to think of this and go down this road because what I've done in the past wouldn't work in the future. The, the, the same things, the measure of success weren't the same. In the high school, we were pushing towards almost 1,000 people, and then you go down to 25. Talk about an ego uh, a wound, right? And it's all out of pride, right? It's all out of pride. We wouldn't have made it through that season if, if it was just for me. It was because we have a staff full of millennials who know how to do technical things, all right? So millennials, you're amazing. So let, let me go to the next one. Confession number three. Is my drive for success and performance is rooted in the need for approval. D did you know that extreme ambition and drivenness actually is rooted in a dysfunction in your life, an insecurity? I learned that and I began to tell some of my friends that who are highly successful. One of my friends is highly successful uh, and, and, and I told him that, and, and, he, and he told me a story when he was a child of why he's so successful, and it was a wound and a pain that he had experienced in his life. And, and I, I began to share this with other people, and they say, oh, you, you know what, I do this because this is what happened to me as a child. Because I never want to repeat this. I don't want my kids to go through this. I, I don't want to have this. And so my success and performance is rooted in the need for approval. My first week as a, as a pastor, actually is the week before my first week, I got a call uh, from my pastor in Iowa. I went to this church in Clinton, Iowa, and he called me from the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, and he said, he said Aaron, he said, this is Pastor Jim. He says, I, uh, my mom your mom asked me to call you, and I just want to let you know that your father passed away. Your dad just passed away and went home to be with Jesus, and uh, and my mom was so distraught she couldn't call me, so my pastor called me. And, uh, and that was the week before I entered ministry, and I have a, had a great relationship with my father, a close relationship with my dad. And in the season that where I felt like I was growing and thriving, um, it doesn't matter how old you are, you still need a dad in your life to say, I'm proud of you and I love you, and you're doing a good job. And it was in that season where I, I realized I didn't receive that and I missed that. 
By the way, if you are a dad, maybe today you get home, you call your kids, say, I love you, I'm proud of you. Because you, we need that as people. And I searched for that in other people to try to win the approval of others. I, 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 used, to, I used to think that I didn't do that. In fact, I was, I was blinded by my own insecurities in life. I, I used to tell people, I'm not a people pleaser. I used to tell people that because I, I thought a people pleaser was a peacekeeper, a peacemaker, and I'm anything but a peacekeeper. Like, I cause pro more problems than I do bring peace into a situation. But, but I realized this, I also like to be liked. And so I wanted to win the approval of people around me or above me. I, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I feel like I'm talking to somebody today that maybe your life has been a life in pursuit of approval of other people. Maybe it's your mom, maybe it's your dad, maybe it's your friends, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's somebody, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's somebody in your life that you are attempting to win their approval. And let me tell you this, when you figure out that your approval comes from who God says you are, you can start living a life of freedom, being, uh, let your burdens be lifted off of your shoulders. Listen, we are people that wanna win the approval of men and women around us. But listen to this. You live for Christ not to earn God's approval, but you live because you already have it. There's a difference. You, you live your life in Christ as a follower of Jesus because you have God's love. You have his affection. You have his adoration. You have his blessing. This changes everything. That you live from a place of already having everything that you need from God. And maybe the productivity in your life may not look different, but the motivation and why you do things does. Let me go to the next one, confession number four. Have I ran anybody out of our church yet? <laughs> I have a ways to go in my healing and recovery. I have a ways to go. To, to, towards healing. Only in a season of extended Sabbath and rest did I realize the dysfunctions that I had. Only in a time of being alone with Jesus, of not having the approval that I'm used to, did I realize that I have a ways to go. Did I recognize it? Only when you stop working can you reflect on your soul. Did you know that God created a way for us to rest? He, he instituted it in scripture. He made it one of the 10 commandments. It's called the Sabbath. In Hebrew, it's Shabbat. It's a, in the Hebrew culture, it's a 24 hour period from Friday night to Saturday night. And Shabbat literally means to cease or desist. And what you're supposed to do in Shabbat is you're supposed to stop working, stop thinking about work, stop worrying about work, stop wanting to work, and you start resting. You do three things. You rest, your body, your mind, your soul. You, you, uh, you delight in God's creation, your family, your spouse, your, the, your peop, the people around you. Delight in nature and creation. And then you worship God. You orient your heart towards God, towards Jesus, towards what he wants for your life. God instituted it 
for our life. Sabbath isn't just for people who work in churches or super Christians. It's not just rest from ministry work. It's rest from all work. God gave it to all of us. And it is the one commandment of God that I've consistently disobeyed for the last 18 years. I added up all the Sabbaths that I potentially have missed. I'm not saying I missed all of these. But over 18 years, that's uh, 900 Sabbaths, over 900. That's three years. That's almost three years. Right? That, 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 that is, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. And, and three months does, doesn't do a dent in the damage that I've done in my personal life and to my family over the last 18 years of ministry. Many of us in our early Christian life, we were never taught about Sabbath. I grew up in a Pentecostal church. If you get tired, you just ask the Holy Spirit to fill you, right? Get him drunk. <laughs> drunk with the Holy Spirit. Anybody grew up like that? It's like, you're not tired. You just need to be filled with God's Spirit. And so I did that day after day after day after day after day, week after week. And so I did that. And I caused damage not only in my personal life, but my spouse, when she was at home with the kids and the real little, I escaped to work for 60, 70, 80 hours a week. I did not take my days off. That, and this is nobody's fault but my own. And I realized that. And I've had to reconcile that and apologize that to my family and my wife. Young people, I, I know this is a new thing for you to think about Sabbath because it's new for me. I even had a professor in seminary say, oh, I don't think Sabbath applies to the New Testament people. I mean, I, I mean, there's so much dysfunction surrounding this, but if you can begin to learn it, it, it now to take that 24-hour break and disengage from your work, from your studies, from, from, uh, fr from, from uh, so many things that cause you stress and be with Jesus, uh, I believe that you're going to set yourself up for Success, not just in your career, but in your life in Christ to be close to him. Let me give you the last one. I want to close with this, and then we're going to go into a time of worship. My journey, if I have a ways to go in my healing and recovery, my journey must happen in conjunction with my leadership, which means this. This is the risk that I take in sharing this with you today, that you get to see some of who I am in my own journey and where God is leading me. Because three months does not make up for two and a half years. After two and a half months, I was just getting to the good stuff in my life. <laughs> it took me three weeks to stop thinking about my first sermon. I mean, it, it, it took two and a half months to just calm my soul. And I knew as I re-engaged that my life has got to be different that my life has got to be different. And so my healing and my recovery will continue in front of all of you, in front of this. And some of you, you're checking out this church and you're wondering, do I wanna to go to this church? If you wanna to go to a church where the leader is sanitized and has everything together, this is not the church for you. If you wanna to go to a church that is authentic, <laughs> thank you. If you wanna to go to a church that's authentic, that's real, where your leader is broken, 
and learning to be with Jesus and still figuring things out, then this is the church for you. And I think this next year is going to be an incredible journey. I'm already excited about October and what, what I'm going to teach. An incredible journey of going into the presence of God, of getting back to God. I believe that is for all of us. And I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 4, 7. And it's a verse that uh, is profound. And it talks about, uh, Paul talks about carrying the luminous presence of God in an earthly, fragile container. And, and Paul writes this. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. There couldn't be a verse that speaks more profoundly to how I feel in this season. A fragile earthen vessel, a clay pot, scratched and dented, maybe a little cracked, maybe even broken, but with the availability to be filled by the presence of God. And let me tell you, church, this is the gospel that God comes to those who are most broken, but those who are willing and available. God doesn't come to superstars who have it all together. Look through the scripture. He comes to the most broken and unlikely people and he does the most imaginary and extraordinary things in their life. And I don't know about you, but I wanna be that. I wanna be that vessel that says, God, I want you, come fill me up. I'm broken, I'm fragile. I don't have it all together, but I want to be used by you and your willingness to be used by God and to carry his presence in an imperfect container is the ability for the glory of God to be seen in your life. And that's exactly how God wants it. He doesn't want you to pretend like you have everything together. He wants you to know how broken we really are so that when people see your life, they say, oh, that's not Aaron. That's God's presence within him. That's not him. What, do you remember what they used to be like? <laughs> that's God's presence within the luminous, glorious presence of God. Some of you need to hear this. You, you need to hear that message because you feel like you need to have your life together in order to receive everything God has for you. You see, getting your life in order and together doesn't come till after God fills you. That, that's the gospel of grace that we believe as a church family. I wanna ask you to stand with me. Go ahead and close your eyes. We're gonna go into a time of worship, but I want to give you an opportunity to respond to God and the Holy Spirit today. And maybe some of you are here and you feel that way. You feel empty. You feel tired. You feel worn out. You feel weary. You feel like you've lost something, right? People call this season that we're all experiencing COVID fatigue. I'm talking, it's COVID depletion, man. It is, it is taking you down to the bottom where you feel empty and you feel tired and you feel worn out and you need God to do something in this moment and in this life. And I wanna ask you, will you be that vessel? Will you be that clay pot? 
Will you be that person that says, God, I'm broken, but I know I need you and I want you to fill me with your presence. I wanna ask you to do something as we go into this worship song. I wanna ask you if that's you and you say, you know what? I need God in this moment of my life now. I want you to ask, I wanna ask you not just to lift one hand, but I want you to lift both hands up to God. If that's you, come on, just lift your hands up to God. You say, God, I want you to fill me. I want you to, to, to surround me with your love. I want to be used by you, God. I want to be filled. I want to be restored by you, God. Some of your hands are up. You are a vessel. Let the Holy Spirit fall upon you. Breathe in the Holy Spirit in this moment. God is going to use you, and he's going to work in you, and he's going to lead you into what he has for you in your life. Greatness in your life doesn't come from you by doing good things. It comes by being a vessel to be used by God. And so, Lord, I ask that you use us. You use me, Lord. You fill me and you fill us with your glory. And you begin to restore the deepest parts of our soul. The deepest parts of who we are. And those who are reaching out to you right now, God, that you fill them in this moment. That this day, September 12, 2021, is a day that we'll never forget. A day of a new creation and a new day and a new way of life. We praise you, Lord. We love you, God, in your name. And everyone said, amen.